Before we um, get started, uh, I wonder if I could ask a question. Should it be illegal for anybody, including you and me, to quote scripture out of context or to twist scripture to fit our own purposes? Should there be a law, I mean an enforceable law, that that's not allowed? There's a lot of that going around these days, people quoting scripture. And when it comes to the subject of the end times, which we'll be touching on a little bit this morning, quoting scripture has become a whole industry of itself. <clears throat> it also happens in lots of other settings on many different subjects. Now, of course, I'm, I'm innocent of this whole thing. Um, don't think I've ever taken scripture out of context. Well, wait, except maybe one time in first or second grade in public school there in the big Rossville school, the building's still standing there. I think it's apartments now, but it's on Church Street there in Rossville. I was the only, <clears throat> the only Mennonite in my class. <clears throat> As I recall, I had this good friend Gordon. I, didn't, I knew he was a Christian. I don't know what denomination. Anyhow, one, one day Gordon and I got into a little skirmish during recess. And, uh, well, you see, um, I hit Gordon. I'm sure it was for a good reason. <laughs> Though I, I could tell it hurt him a little bit. So he pulls back his arm and is about to hit me back. When I stopped him and said, Gordon... The Bible says, do to others as you wish them to do to you. So, Gordon, you should not be hitting me. It gave him pause for a second, and then he says, no, the Bible says, do to others what they do to you. And then he hit me really hard. So much for Bible quoting as a defense tactic. <clears throat> What if the Lord has returned and you missed it? Maybe I should ask, how do you expect the world to end? I'm sure that some of you remember Robert Frost's poem. Some say the world will end in fire. Some say in ice. From what I've tasted of desire, I hold that with those who favor fire, but if it had to perish twice, I think I know enough of hate to say that for destruction, ice is also great and would suffice. What's the first feeling you experience when I talk about the return of the Lord? Fear? Confusion? Concern? Would you say you have a similar feeling at Christmas time related to the first coming of Jesus as an infant? Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Many people would say that Christmas is not primarily an emotion of fear and confusion, right? So why do so many Christians get stressed about the second coming? Well, for one thing, the second coming is often associated with the end times, the end of the world. How do you think the world is going to end? Some say ice, say some fire. Others say 
A Big Bang will bookend human history to mirror the Big Bang that some think started everything. I remember as a boy hearing some of the men sitting around after Sunday dinner discussing the differences between pre-millennialism and all-millennialism and sometimes even post-millennialism. Because the discussions could become lively and sometimes almost a touch heated, I found I had no interest in eschatology, the study and theories about the end times. Later in seminary in New York, the men and women had a wee bit more formal education, but their debates about the end of history left me just as confused and disinterested. Although one professor from Europe, after he was robbed on the sidewalk next to the seminary building, he even put forward an eschatology of being mugged. Though I must admit there were times when I wondered if a series of nuclear bombs might bring an end to life as we know it. A thought I'm sure a lot of people in Ukraine worry about these days. When I think about Christmas, the first coming, I don't cringe because of all the fear and hated, heated debates. More than 300 years ago, Pastor Isaac Watts wrote the words, joy to the world, the Lord has come. That's why over the years I've tried to uncouple conversations about the end times and expectations of the second coming. Expectations of the second coming. Actually, I should say expectations of the third coming, too, and of the fourth coming, and of the 14th coming, and the 24th coming, and the 104th coming. Whoa, just a minute, what's going on here? I should say I don't wish to offend any of you about your beliefs about how history will end. I admit I don't understand it. But my interest is more about being tuned into the return of the Lord and how it keeps happening in my life again and again. Have you felt your heart burning within you as the two on the road to Emmaus experienced? Is that different? Is your heart burning within you different from a ball of fire bringing a close to history? One is warm and energizing. The other is a terror. Has the light shone in the darkness for you? Or are you worried that the darkness will prevail and have the last word? If I ask you to name some times recently when you felt the distinct presence of God, what would you say? Does God return to you? Or do you feel lost. A few years ago, our small grandson was listening to his mother read a Bible story around the kitchen table. His dad was videoing, videoing it as he does sometimes. And that's the reason that they discovered in the playback that this four-year-old suddenly piped up and said, I've seen God. When no one seemed to pay attention, he waited a moment as the story reading continued, and then he said a bit more firmly, I've seen God, mommy. 
It made me wonder when I heard about it. True, the young boy has lots of fantastic dreams that he can tell you about in great elaboration to the point where you can't be sure if he actually dreamed it or if he's daydreaming it now in the moment as he expounds in great detail. But why do we have to play the skeptic? What if William actually saw God? Could this four-year-old help us to see things that we are blind to? Why not? Or do we think seeing God is only part of a phase? If young Ch William sees the appearance of the Lord, who am I to blindly refute his reality? Which reminds me of some of the times when God has returned to me. In my life, unexpected, unrehearsed, full of light and a little, a little heartburning, perhaps through the eyes of a child, or often through someone very different from me, maybe in a train station, or in the supermarket, or walking on the sidewalk in front of our house, or knocking on our door offering a touch of grace. He came to his own, but his own people did not receive him. Did not. Why do we not recognize that God has returned to us? Why do we expect a great earth-shaking moment, a great second coming, while we stumble along wearily, wearily on that road to Emmaus and not see what is happening? We might grin and even joke about those prophecy fanatics with all their charts about the Great Tribulation, the Rapture, and the thousand-year reign, and all of that. But we have our own mental charts, don't we? Fear is for sale everywhere. Fear of the unknown. Fear of the final judgment. Fear that the other team might win by cheating. And of course, fear that when all is said and done, it won't mean anything, zero, like drifting in the lost sea. Mark tells us that in the garden when Jesus returned, he found his followers asleep again, again. How many agains have I stacked up missing the return of the Lord? I saw a photo of someone scribble on the wall of a public restroom. It said, pack your bags, Jesus is coming. Sounds like something Jesus would have said to the disciples, drop everything and follow me. Have you heard a voice while working at the sink or at the stove or while cleaning up the yard? Have you heard a voice while driving down the road in the rain? or when climbing out of bed yesterday morning. He came to live among us. We saw his glory, the glory like that of a father's only son, full of grace and truth.
Could it be that Jesus is walking among us more often than we know? Would you recognize his voice? Would you drop everything to walk along on that road seven miles outside Jerusalem? Pack your bags. Jesus is coming. Has a sense of urgency that we must leave our immediate situation to follow Jesus. Get a move on. Catch up. Focus. Follow me. Do you hear his voice? But so much of life is not that active. Many of our days and nights are filled with waiting, waiting for God to come and clean things up, waiting for the Lord to sweep away the fog, waiting to hear the voice of Jesus amid the clamor of selfishness and greed and war, waiting for the appearance Swing low, sweet chariot. Swing low. Please come and rescue us and take us home. One of my all-time favorite Bible verses is James 5, 7. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. It sounds like a big ask, and it is. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. Do I have that much patience? Do you? But what if the the coming of the Lord is not centuries away? What if it's not only one event? What if the Lord comes to us again and again? I've come to find meaningful the idea of the future slicing into the present moment like a miracle bringing the intersecting light of grace to the epochs of this moment. Rather than snicker about the end times dogma, maybe we should embrace the eternal presence in our very breath. Listen to the voice of comfort and courage and have the flash of the future now Transcend the challenges and the difficulties on that road to Emmaus or to wherever. Are we aware of when God comes to us where we are in the moment? Like a visitation of grace from the future? Sliding or bursting into the very moment where we are now, presently living in. Are we awake and alert? And are we willing to wait, if need be, until the coming of the Lord? Swing low, sweet chariot. Did our hearts not burn within us? Joy to the world. I promise you, I really do. I am always with you, even to the end of time. Let's pause for a moment of silence. Lord, give us patience. Help us to hear. 
Give us wisdom to understand. Please do not desert us. We want you to keep appearing to us. And we are so grateful. Amen. <laughs>